Lego's fundraisers. I'm Don Lego. It's a new year and it's time once again to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities and building better tomorrows and of course, exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. Together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. So let's get going. I am super pleased to uh, introduce to all of you fearless fundraisers out there, Marshall Stockdale from Fields and Futures. Um, I'm super excited to dive into really great conversations. So a great big hello. Marshall, how are you doing today? Doing great, Don. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm super excited. I love what you're doing. Um, I love some of the taglines. I've I've crawled your website already, um, but I'm going to let you do the big introduction. Can you introduce to our fearless fundraisers, you know, what Fields and Futures is all about? Introduce yourself, too. We want to get to know you better and um, let us know a little bit about the mission. I know you've had a long journey already with Fields and Futures. It's had some changes and pivots, but give us the big introduction. I'll go easy first. I'll start with the organization. Fields and Futures is uh, approaching its 10-year anniversary. We're an Oklahoma City nonprofit. Um, our co-founders, Liz and Tim McLaughlin, live here in the city. Um, our mission is to help students in Oklahoma City reach their full potential. And the lane that we chose to do that is through interscholastic sports and team sports um, participation. Um, early on, um, our, our founders, Tim and Liz, um, had been a longtime supporter of a local organization called West Welker Foundation, who at the time, back in 2010, 11, 12, um, was raising money and, and improving weight rooms inside Oklahoma City Public Schools, our largest urban school district. Um, one day they were invited to go on a tour to see what some of their work um, type of impact it had created. And in that visit, when they got off the bus, um, they were meeting a principal and a coach and someone made reference to a sports field. And in that moment, our founder kind of said, well, what sports field? And they referenced, well, you're standing on it. And what they saw then was really a uh, pothole, you know, riddle field with tires and broken glass. Um, oh, oh my. And, and from their context, uh, as, as living somewhat in you know, suburban Oklahoma City uh, and firsthand realizing the benefits that so many of their their peers, friends, family and, and children had been from team sports. Uh, they said this is not a field and this is not right. Um, and at that time in Tim's life, um, he had just exited a very successful business venture and he was honestly looking for something to do. Um, and on this school visit, uh, he met the brand new athletic director for OKCPS, Keith Sinor, and he asked him right then, what's the plan? What's the vision? And Keith Sinor to this day tells the story that he, he tells people all the time what he thinks should be done, but he never expects people to follow through or to call back. But lo and behold, the next day, uh, Tim made contact with Keith and said, we're going to do something. And that's kind of the beauty of Fields and Futures ambition is that we really don't um, look back and say, you know, 
what, what happened? How did it get here? How do we assign blame? So much of our ethos is that's not right. We think this can help. Um, we need to get to work. And so Fields and Futures was born out of a promise to improve one middle school in South Oklahoma City named Jefferson Middle School. And at the time, the tools available to the McLaughlin's and Keith Sinor um, was a little bit of private capital and a really dear longtime family friend in the McLaughlin's, Tommy Noble, who owned a construction company called Cimarron Construction. And with a couple uh, meetings, I'm sure with some cocktails near the pool, they mapped out a plan and they told uh, Keith, we're going to we're going to mobilize some bulldozers and get to work. And what started with just a commitment to build an irrigated soccer pitch uh, very quickly turned into then a promise to the principal and teachers that, you know what, we're going to go ahead and build uh, a brand new baseball and softball field that had not ever existed. Now, when they built it, they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but within about three months, after about a four and a half, five month construction build, um, they're getting calls from Keith Siner, who's out of breath. Tim, Tim, you cannot believe this. Um, we just had to call in another school resource officer and Tim saying, no, this is gonna be bad. But Keith says, you won't believe this, Tim. Jefferson just had their first home game and the parking lots are overflowing. And so for Tim to suddenly realize, whoa, this is one of our largest middle schools in the city at over 800 kids. And they're literally having parents overflowing the parking lot, parking on the street. They need traffic cops. Uh, it gave a great opportunity for, for Tim to go back and learn what's happening. And what was so overwhelming to Tim and Liz on that first beta project was the teachers, the teachers talking about this is giving me leverage. You know, when I can identify that one of my students plays sports, it gives me an opportunity to to troubleshoot, to 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 to. Um, you know, have a coach to lean on. So it, it really illustrated how being a part of a team and the interscholastic component of you have to make your grades to play um, and the natural demand that kids have to want to feel purpose and to feel relied upon by peers and to, you know, have a unique identity. Um, it was really the, the gain or impact in the classroom that, that inspired our original team. Um, so at that moment, Tim and Liz made a new commitment to the school district that we are going to improve or build irrigated improved sports fields at all of your secondary school campuses. And so as a brand, it really matured. It, it really became more as uh, team sports as a strategy to link up with academic mission with a belief that students that had a reason to want to go to a school that had the reinforcement of the interscholastic component of making your grades. There was a belief that students will attend more days of school. There was a belief that students would exhibit better behavior. Um, there was a belief that this could correlate or link up with graduation rates. So if so they play, the they stay. And if they stay, they graduate right off your yeah. website. Is that where and that all comes from? And it's, and it's yes, Don. And it's easy to, to talk about where we are today and the sales claims we use to, to raise capital. But it's fun to kind of play 2013 all over with just how naive we were. So yeah. our original tagline was build, empower, inspire under the concept that for us to really win the capital of donors to construct sports fields and give them in kind to the school district that we would need to obviously develop some wraparound services to provide curriculum and professional development to coaches, because 
within kind of a, a strategy framework, really we were just giving tools to let administrators, principals, and coaches finally be able to get to work. Um, and then the inspire component was, was really kind of a, a, um, unidentified bucket, but we knew, and we certainly didn't know as much when we started that we are probably going to learn about obstacles that our students and families face to even get to the sports field, whether it's nutrition, whether it's safe sports equipment, um, uh, et cetera. But to kind of just piggyback on how kind of focused these initial claims were that we could somehow impact graduation rates um, immediately when we started to focus in on the data and learn kind of on a um, longitudinal study, looking at the marginal gain between student athletes and their non-athlete peers, the data just shined. And it reinforced, especially at middle school, up to 11, 12 more days of school of attendance. Um, this is a highly um, transient population, but it showed stability. Um, it showed a, a, you know, approximate 84, 85% uh, days enrolled in an academic year for student athletes. Um, at the high school level, immediately we were learning that upperclassmen in their second semester, 11th grade year and their 12th grade year were voluntarily choosing to take more ACT attempts. So in Oklahoma City Public Schools, there is a requirement as 11th grader that you take the, the pre-ACT. But to, but to suddenly see the data illustrate the huge mental shift it takes to say, no one in my family has ever attended college. No one in my life has ever said I could be an engineer, a doctor, an attorney. Anything I want to be. But now I'm on this team, I've got these coaches, I've got this community behind me and someone now, believes in me. Now, now all of a sudden it's like, well, why, why should I not go to college? And to see that play out and commitment to classwork and then ultimately um, efforts to become more eligible to attend college was, was, was really fascinating. And I mean, obviously these are the biggest um the biggest triggers that I think help our donors rationalize major investment. Wow. It's a, it's an incredible story. Um, as you were um, recounting that story, I'm thinking of the founders, you know, standing on the, you know, um, the gravel of what was, you know, then the athletic field. And I was saying, thinking to myself, well, well was that all it took really the next day, they really made a phone call and, and you just shared that, that, you know, these are these just do it right. Just a do it mentality. And, um, I know another tagline is the unstoppable together. And they re they really are the heartbeat of that. Right. You know, the founders, they're really, that that's it. We're, we're unstoppable. We're going to do it together. Yeah. We are unstoppable. And here we go. So very quickly for all the fundraisers out there, you probably want to put on earmuffs for this, Uh oh. Uh, but fields and futures is a very lucky organization. Um, upon inception, Liz and Tim uh, McLaughlin, um, their family uh, was in a position to start their own family foundation. So if we talk about our origin and how we will, we were able to scale 
and generate these exponential returns so quickly, a lot of it has to do with the way that the McLaughlin Family Foundation, in a way, seeded fields and futures. Well, that's okay, so that's but they, seeding is just seeding, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that you're not fundraising because uh, there's well, a lot. Yeah, okay. I'm wanting uh, to hear it. So, so within the first so the first five years of our organization, um, they provided a restricted gift to cover all of our administrative overhead. So as a infant nonprofit, just coming out of um, kind of a fiscal sponsorship, stepping into our own as a, um, trying to think of the term again regarding the IRS determination letter, but as a true independent 501c3, we got to hit, you know, hit the pavement stating every dollar you contribute goes straight to programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a, so that was important a, for the donors to hear that. Yes. And um, some of that philosophy is now changing um, as we kind of step forward into 2020, 2021. And we learn um, about some of the cause and effect around COVID-19 and how government government entities now have access to certain types of stimulus programs. Um, we're shifting a little bit, you know, where where for the first eight years of our life, we were so capital intensive, you know, please, please trust us that we can take your capital, develop amazing infrastructure for these campuses. Further, we have the capability to maintain it. But now the fact that the foundation is built and the school district is now collecting all of their qualitative and anecdotal evidence about the effect of what these pristine fields that are maintained, you know, rain or shine 12 months a year, affecting policy, affecting the way government, affecting the way school districts choose to invest incrementally, um, I think is gonna create some of the biggest student outcome gains. Um, We'll see. So much of our kind of internal focus now is really um, shifting into, you know, how can we be the best positioned collaborative partner for the school district and kind of kind of look out towards the horizon with them and, and identify what's the next not problem, what's the next opportunity and what can we do as a private entity um, that that is, is unique and different. So like a, as an example for someone who's technical or on the operations side, you know, our local school district due to purchasing laws, you know, they can't contract with uh, contractors for more than a year. You know, every every year has to be reapproved by their local board. However, as a private entity, for us to share the ambition of wanting to privatize in a way the maintenance of the fields that we contributed in kind, well, now as a private entity, we have the ability to go negotiate with um, local contractors and enter into multi-year contracts. So I think we've all seen which is win for everybody. I would imagine it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, it allows us to definitely buffer against inflation much better than what a large school district can do. Um, and then more recently, I know Don, you need to ask me some questions, but like more recently, um, the school district, due to a um, forecasted population decline, a concern about the capital efficiency of its buildings, they actually um, consolidated several of their school campuses. And so prior to COVID in 2018, they launched an initiative called Pathway to Greatness that converted seven elementary schools into middle schools. So they kind of unhinged a sixth through 12th grade mid-high model 
and brought back the traditional ninth through 12th to high school. And then they used these closed or repurposed elementary schools to turn into middle school campuses. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was a huge pivot for us because we had never really built seven projects at once. And that required a negotiation with the district where we swapped some responsibilities, where we said we can pivot our reserves. We can certainly mobilize enough construction partners in the state to build these projects, but we will need your help backfilling maintenance. Because in essence, every time we build a brand new sports complex and commit to the maintenance, that creates a a liability. I mean, it is a burden to, to take private donor capital, build something that can't sustain. So we're actually just now kind of coming off of that, that, um, that pivot. The district has done a wonderful job purchasing critical maintenance services that we had historically done. And here in 2023, we're going to step back into that shoe and be truly a private arm working with the district. Um, tandem. So yeah. So that they no longer have that maintenance burden. So you have the best of of the structure of the education sector and the best of the private sector coming together, working together, unstoppable together to really deliver a much better product than maybe each entity could have done on, on its own. And the data is speaking for itself. We're, we're graduating students that are engaged with themselves and, and finding a purpose and, and asking, you know, instead of why it's why not. So um, it really is win, 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 right. All the way around. So it's a beautiful yeah. story. And it all started with um two people standing on a field that was a sad field. And that's amazing, amazing story and an amazing 10 year journey. Um, But let's get our fundraisers to get to know you a little bit, uh, Marshall. You've had an eight year journey with um, Fields and Futures. So what role do you play? What are you responsible for? How do we get to know you a little bit better? Um, The best thing is just to probably know uh, me as kind of a conflicted, confused tax accountant. Conflicted, confused tax accountant. I I started my career after graduating from Texas Tech University um, with an undergrad in accounting, and I worked in public accounting in Dallas um, within a tax firm. So my early career was working with business owners on tax compliance and return preparation. Um, I met my wife on vacation um, at a music festival in Steamboat, Colorado. And by All right, let's give her a shout out. Yeah, let's Marshall's wife's name. Let's shout her out. And her name is Bevan. And, and from a nonprofit standpoint, she's also quite impressive too. She's just now rolling off as a uh, chair position of a local nonprofit called Remerge that has done incredible work here in Oklahoma City. Um, but that relationship, dating long distance, brought me to Edmond, Oklahoma, where my mother here, another shout out, her name is Dot Ryan, and she works at Fields and Futures as a as an independent contractor. Um, but Dot in 2013 uh, was introduced by a very good mutual friend to Tim about, hey, I've got this friend, he's got this big idea, he moves fast. Um, he's Clearly he moves fast. <laughs> he made some promises. I'm a little worried about him keeping them. Um, he keeps talking about field naming rights and sponsorships. And the second he mentioned anything that related to alternative revenue, I thought of you, Dot. And so Dot got introduced to Tim to really help ideate what is going to be this monetization strategy of 
how do we go about building at the time, 42 projected sports fields at 14 different secondary school campuses? Well, my mom um, knew of my expertise from a compliance lens, and I got to meet Tim early, um, right as they were kind of developing uh, formal paperwork with the IRS. And I just made a commitment to him from a, you know, part-time contractor that, you know, I can support this lean mean operation. So from a chart of account standpoint, internal controls, getting your accounting function stood up, that's kind of how I entered. And then as I kind of mentioned before uh, the interview started, you know, you, you put a tax accountant who in a very strange way likes a little bit of pain and likes to put together puzzle pieces. You put them next to the state's largest urban school district with an objective of how do we get more kids to graduate? You know, it's pretty easy for my brain to start racing. Um, and then also knowing that we're dealing with one of the largest employers of the state, you know, a, a monster annual budget, a lot of the terminology that I use um, from an accounting lens, I think benefited our early collaborations with the district to build trust. The stars um, were aligned there. Right yeah, people, good, right people, good people, people that make a promise and stand behind it all coming together. Sounds like a recipe for for success. Yeah. And then I would say that professionally, you know, coming to a new market from Dallas to Oklahoma City, a much smaller market. However, um, the visual in my mind was this is a, you know, a smaller pond, but it's stocked with way more fish. So as a young entrepreneur to come in and realize that through a philanthropic platform, you have the ability to have such variety in a, in a week, you know, to, to one day be meeting with the mayor, the next day you're meeting with a, you know, head of an executive state agency, the following day you're collaborating on social media with another best in class nonprofit. And, you know, tomorrow you're going to be, you know, helping a high school coach rake an infield. So instantly I got to kind of meet everyone. And then from a core competency of financial stewardship and you know financial accountability, what makes FNF tick is very much partnerships and efficiency. So, so much of our storytelling and marketing is outsourced. Um, so I'm sure a lot of nonprofit operators listening, you know, the ability to negotiate services, um, align all these various independent contractors with your interests, pour into them. You know, the, the idea that if you let the creatives be creative, if you let the specialists be specialists and get out of their way, hopefully that, that builds rapport, that builds loyalty. And we could not be where we are today if we've not just slowly grown this machine that now thinks for us. And lets everybody do their job and, and deliver their expertise. Yeah. And then also have the courage to sometimes say next man up, you know, it was, right. a good run. it was an experiment. And that's something to me as a young professional that, that I still admire about the nonprofit industry. And I'm grateful that we have so many donors that quote unquote might take the bet with us is that nonprofits are supposed to love risk. It's why we exist. I mean, because in a theoretical perspective, if we do our job, and prove the strategy in theory, we're, we're creating a catalyst for government to learn and to step in. Mm -hmm. But by default, to justify the formation of a new public support of charity, you kind of need a problem messy enough that no one wants to do it. Um, and so to, 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 to rely on a very agile outsource model, 
you know, we've been able to kind of just throw darts at things. And it's, and it's the same thing that fundraisers see all the time. The fact that most times major gifts in a sense do want to be personalized. They do want to be not manipulated, but they want to be directed to maybe create impact that has not yet been achieved or to try something that maybe others have been afraid to try. Impact is very personal, right? I mean, it's your money and, um, you know, you, you want, if you're don't, if you're a donor, um, it's personal, you know, and that's why we recommend impact statements and impact tiles and impact, 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 and storytelling, right? Those are the two keys that, um, I think, need every nonprofit needs to make sure that they're they're pushing out there you know in a large way so if that's if outsourcing some other things allowed you to storytell and and build the vision and the mission and um, demonstrate the impact and collect the data um, more power to you, you know, and that's what I think the beauty is of this podcast is to, you know, tell different stories of nonprofits and how they got to where they're, you know, want to, where they are and, and where they're going. So, um, I applaud your efforts truly. I mean, Don, it's a major, Don, yeah. My, my passion is starting to kind of overtake this, but if this were a one hour podcast, not a 30 minute podcast and we had a chance <laughs> masterclass, I do think the class that I would want, you know, if there was a Harvard, you know, case study on fields and futures, yeah. I think the attribute that she'll look at is storytelling. You know, I've seen it firsthand being in the organization for eight years, but when things get messy, when sometimes we get over our skis or, you know, there's anxiety regarding, did we fulfill the claims that we raised money on? You know, like for instance, for instance, for example, that pathway to greatness, I mean, for the school district, chief operating officer to tell us confidentially before the news broke that they're going to close 14 different schools. I mean, that's a, that's an empowering moment, a lot of responsibility, but every time we get a little too big or, or volatile, we can always just come back to the story. It's, it, it, it kind of calms the organization. It's almost like less is more. So I think the fact that it's an operator, we have been able to build such a solid foundation that almost organically, our, our improvements in the community can generate just by being on the fields. Um, that's been a, a huge advantage to us. And then just to kind of thank a few kind of dynamic donors have done some incredible things, but it still correlates to storytelling is in 2016, we met an out of market company called group 1001 led by a CEO named Dan Taurus. And he was in market to learn more about Oklahoma because one of their subsidiaries was now going to be licensed and registered to, to sell insurance. And just politically, he wanted to come in and kind of meet the stakeholders. But in a function that his team helped organize, he got to meet Fields and Futures and some of our collaborative partners, Police for Kids, Police Athletic League, and he was blown away. And he was really moved and disturbed at the idea that gangs start recruiting as early as sixth grade. And so sixth grade gangs mm -hmm. yeah, and the wow. fact that really practically fields and futures is trying to be a gang. I mean, we're trying to, you know, equip kids with safe and competitive equipment. I mean, we're in a way using coaches to recruit, but we're not a gang, thankfully. <laughs> um, but that inspired group 1001 to make a $1.5 million contribution to our build efforts. But then they also separately, underwrote a, a syndicated TV show called Power of Sports. 
and used Fields and Futures as inspiration and gave Fields and Futures a PSA spot. Um, but they produced three years of a 30 minute television show on Fox Sports Network that went across the country and did deep dives into markets learning about how the power of sports can impact youth and communities. Um, so that was, oh, a I really love that. Win. Yeah. That was a fun wow. win for us. And from a storytelling standpoint now, suddenly we have ep- episodic content. Mm-hmm. So one of our local vendors, Lampstand Media um, was a partner in that and they did all of the local storytelling. So every show had at least one OKC centric story. And so for us to put that back through our social media platform, uh, was another kind of unfair advantage. The story snowballed. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let, let's get to the students. Can you think or share or recall, I'm putting you on the spot here. I know that I am, Marshall, but bear with me. Um, you know, we're hearing about the big picture story, but can you tell us um, a direct impact story? Is there one student in particular that without mentioning names, of course, you know, we, we want to protect for privacy, but is there one story that you could share with us that really gets to our heart about success and achievement? I can say his name name because he's a graduate. Okay. Even better. He's actually a coach now. Uh Oh, and then, and in the summer he side hustles with us. So we met Jeremy Allen as a sixth grader, at Jefferson Middle School. Oh, I got to so sit back and was, listen to the story. Go ahead. So, so he was a beneficiary of our first project. And we'll kind of jump ahead. But in hindsight, we learned that he was in a very bad place. He was um, the oldest son in the house. He had a younger brother named um, named Micah. I'm sorry, named Malachi. Um, but Jeremy was a student where he knew he could almost self-diagnose that he had some anger issues and playing outside exercise and team football, he knew was a good prescription for him. But at the time, because he could have gone in a different direction quite easily, right? Yeah. He was going in that different direction. Okay. Okay. Um, But he and his mom recall numerous times sitting down, talking about him joining a, um, youth football league but it was too far away. You know, it, it, it wasn't in this urban core. Um, and also it costs too much. So imagine being in sixth grade, a important member of your family, his mother just passed, or grandmother just passed away. He was in a bad spot. He knew he was going the wrong direction. He wanted to play sports. His, he's got great parents, but they just couldn't make it happen. Well, Jefferson Middle School football field gets built. So now oh, he enrolls. I have set, chills. Okay. And now he enrolls in its seventh grade. And the coach is um, Officer uh, Esau. So the school's resource officer is the football coach. And in Oklahoma City, it's not a very, let's just say that they don't have excess surpluses everywhere. They do rely a lot on adjunct coaches, coaches who aren't necessarily teachers. Um, but Coach Esau teamed up with Coach Juan Le- Lozano, and they were going to go out and build the Jefferson Statesman football team, a team that really had never existed. And they identified Jeremy as a personality. Hey, I need you out here. Coach Lozano was his history teacher. And Jeremy makes a go of it. Um, but sadly, Jeremy is still making really, really bad decisions. Bad decisions. Okay. And the there's something time. that happens in the classroom where he literally picks up his desk and throws it at a classmate. 
Oof. And here comes Jeremy going to the principal's office. And before he can get to the principal, Coach Esau catches wind and pulls him aside. And Jeremy tells the story. And we have a couple stories on Jeremy on our YouTube channel. Um, but he basically says, let me, let me tell you, Jeremy, you know, you need to start thinking as a day of in-school suspension is like going to the county jail. And suspension as an adult is going to the penitentiary. And there was something about that conversation that really shook Jeremy. And that was like the pivotal moment that changed his life. And he came back and I believe finished one of the games of seventh year, but he came back as an eighth grader and went from a barely passing student to a low A student to the captain of the football team. And he tells Dot and I these really emotional stories about how, in a way, the system was kind of rejecting him. You know, imagine running with one click of kids that are doing gang activity. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you're wearing your football jersey on game day. You have positive, healthy relationships with teachers. Students are looking up to you on the announcements. You're identified as a leader. Oh, he's in a imagine, tough spot as a young Imagine there's jealousy and resentment to where yeah. he, he almost lost his social structure. Yeah. But thankfully, he had the courage and dexterity to know how important it was to get to ninth grade, to get to that next team. And he says by about sophomore year, finally, his old friends gave up on him, which he wanted. And he was able to kind of come back to his own kind of independence. That's brave, though. That's brave to even know that you want your friends to give, kind of give up to you. That That's that's widely yes. brave. Yeah. Wow. And so and so then Jeremy ends up um, not starting his freshman year, but he still sticks and he becomes a dual sport athlete. He plays baseball. Um, and then by the time he graduates, he's a uh, honor roll student. Um, he's being no. recognized by a sovereign Indian tribe as like the, you know, nation student of the year. Um, he gets a full ride scholarship to a local university, Southern Nazarene. He goes on to play football, but I mean, but he, but he's still, you know, a real kid. I mean, so he gets married in college. Uh, he's now a dad. His baby's two years uh, old, oh. um, but, but he's in school. And for us, he helps out at times whenever we have um, seasonal spikes and some kind of campus maintenance needs. Um, he's working with a family member on becoming kind of a home contractor. So he's learning about trade and electrical and plumbing. Um, and, but the best part is his brother Malachi is valedictorian of us grand high school. So, so the entire like full circle of that family is just changed, changed completely. And the, and, then the fact, and the fact that Jeremy is now an adjunct coach at U.S. Grant. So he's the linebacker coach at U.S. Grant. Amazing. Amazing. That, so all of your taglines are true. They're not just words on some marketing team dreamt up. They're really, really true. Yeah, so, um, I love this story. And so the plug on YouTube is if you search power of sports, you'll see all this episodic content of stories out of Oklahoma City. And one of our district attorneys uh, David Prater tells a story of students in Star Spencer, where two students purposely did not participate in what often turned into a fatal shooting because they quote unquote said to their parents, because my football coach would have, you know, 
I don't think hopefully they would have punched him, but they basically said there was no way I was following that friend because of how hard we worked to get what we had with our football team and coach. So all that purpose. content out there. Yeah. Purpose. What a beautiful story. All right. Well, so you've had some great people and some great roots and seed money and wonderful founders. And I love these stories, but I know that it still doesn't come all together a hundred percent there's still fundraising that that's involved and i think fundraising um you know generates a community um, a community of donors an opportunity to tell the story right so um you've done some fundraising and i know you've just had a successful bow tie ball um, I think it's an annual event, right? Um, yes. I'm sure it's changed, you know, a little bit over the years. Um, and I know you have some uh, software and, and innovation behind that bow tie ball. I know that you work with some partners out there like Go Charities. So could we highlight that for a little bit and just talk about, you know, uh, that event, how it's evolved and what yeah. makes it successful? Speaking of technology, make sure one cost calls me. Our contract needs to be renewed. Okay. So last, check, check. I'm like, no to that. Thank yeah. you. Last boat type all was um, our our third year. Third we were very year. grateful that one cause let us lapse 2020 with COVID. Um, but yes, bow tie ball is a, is an event that was uh, inspired seven years ago. Is really a night to celebrate coaches. Uh, matter of fact, our first signature sponsor was Chevrolet, so that's where we got the inspiration for the bow tie, knowing they had a what they call their own bow tie logo. Um, it was a oh, wonderful opportunity yeah. to kind of capture the generosity of donors. More um, oftentimes, you know, they can't attend every event, but when you put an appeal out in front of them to say, "Well, if you can't attend, would you still mind sponsoring a table for OKCPS coaches?" Um, and so uh, we kind of identified a unique kind of attribute in the way that we could use Bowtie Ball to bring in um, outside speakers. So some of our earliest speakers were Bobby Bowden, the local speaker, Bob Stoops, uh, Herm Edwards, Dick Vitale, um, Cal Ripken Sr. Jr., and, that, and that's a whole other podcast in regards to a collaboration where we actually were able to bring in the probably largest dominant field build, field builder in the industry, Cal Ripken Senior Foundation. And we actually got to collaborate with them on a project at Southeast High School. Um, but really over, over that seven year period, it's turned into a platform um, that doesn't always necessarily have just a strict monetary objective. Um, we have a lot of fundraisers through the year, whether it's an annual golf tournament, whether it's a summer fundraiser at our founder's home, but Bowtie Ball is an important platform, I feel, for our all of our civic stakeholders, all of our school district leadership, obviously the coaches, um, but it just creates such momentum going into the next year of reminding the marketplace of what a community can do when they set their sights on something. Because Fields and Futures cannot do this alone. We use the phrase a lot of linking arms, but the fact that all these local organizations, Cleats for Kids, that collects new and used sports equipment to give back to, to, to students and Police Athletic League that in 2015 re-innovated an inner city school league that now plays at fields we maintain 
and serves our fifth and sixth graders that aren't yet in the interscholastic component of seventh and eighth grade sanctioned competition. And YMCA has now said we want back in. So going back to that story on Jeremy, where he just simply could not access an organized sports product. Well, now the YMCA, because of the stability that Fields and Futures has now brought to every campus, they are now complementing the strategy by bringing in an elementary sports league. So they're serving principals at the third, the third and fourth grade level, getting students ready to learn Feeding how to access into, resources yes. in middle school, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then we always just knock on wood and we're so blessed that the last three or four years, we net the big gift after Bowtie Ball. So Bowtie Ball is simply just a night to kind of inspire and to celebrate. Um, and all these anecdotal stories kind of fall out and donors get to network and mingle with school district leaders and superintendents and principals. And, you know, uh, in years past, when we haven't had rooms as big as 600 people, we've placed coaches at donor tables and just organically the magic kind of happens. That's great. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, fundraisers and events, you know, you you have a goal, of course, but it is that opportunity to create community, to celebrate, to tell the stories and, um, you know, set set things up for the year or or for the in your case for for the next year. So um, what, what what's what's your best memory from Bowtie Ball 2021? What tell me a little if, if we could bring us well, back, bring us there, bring us into the ballroom. Wow. I mean, I know half the people in the room and we got such great feedback after the event. Um, was there a mission moment? Was there a particular well, so, 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 item so, so, that went so, for big money? So, what was, so, what was some of the well, excitement? Well, so for me, just bear with me, like you're stepping into kind of the, the, the whiteboard with me mm. after the event, listening to Archie Manning, who was our guest speaker, and hearing the parallels and the stories he tells about his sons, there was a there was a moment where he made a comment about obviously Eli and Peyton playing in the biggest games that are out there. And he reinforced the statement of you want to play in the big game. And at the time, everyone just kind of glanced over because it's on stage. It's a it's a it's a it's a question type format interview with a great local sports journalist. But that stuck with me. You know, you want to play in the big game. In other words, you do all of this hard work and make these sacrifices because that's the payoff. So for me, the parallel, when I think about fields and futures and the claims we sell back to our city is fields and futures is helping our city play in the big game. So it's not about wins and losses. It's not about helping Yes, winning is fun. I think it helps with retention, but it's about getting our workforce ready. It's about getting our community positioned from a quality of life, from a health, being able to attract, you know, other corporations to relocate into our market. So I think we're playing with the campaign next year that really anchors on this concept of the big game um, to help so many of our donors, because they all have different emotional connections to why they give. Um, but I would love to get people anchored on, well, what is the biggest game and how do we get our city there even playing in it? Um, but I need to go back because you did a layup, a softball regarding technology. Um, one cause 
Um, we found it four years ago because we were experimenting with auctioneers that were kind of bringing their own baggage, their own suites, their own merchant processors. And from an accounting standpoint, we wanted something a little bit more contemporary um, because five years ago, you have to remember, a lot of people were still comfortable downloading apps. But three or four years ago, consumer preferences, I don't want to download anything. I don't trust anything. So to have- I'm with you. Well, I'm with you there. So, so, so to have a web-based application that now simply relies on your cellular network and your phone's mobile browser, that was a must for us. You know, we needed a frictionless experience. But the fact that even four years ago, you were providing a, a text message kind of integrated solution. Um, the fact that uh, as donors- um, engaged or immersed with their respective donor profile, we were benefiting from browser cookies. And the fact that if a donor went back to that same web page, you know, it remembered them. So all of that kind of continuity is what was important to us. Um, and then also from a, from a marketing standpoint, we all know this, but we have to do the small things really, really well. Like non-profiteering is really about, you know, don't mess up the easy stuff. Because for so many donors, small, medium, and large, they compare us constantly, our touch points, with the touch points of other nonprofits. Um, so even going back to kind of a, a core marketing tactic of a monthly email newsletter, people value our newsletters because we don't, you know, overwhelm them. You know, we, we're, we're, we're very consistent in how we deliver content. We make sure the content is always, you know, relevant. It, Incrementally beneficial, new, creates access. And then suddenly when more of our engaged donor then suddenly gets to experience an event and they're now getting a text message part of the event that reminds them about valet parking or shares an Uber discount code or makes a comment for our summer event that we're watching the weather. I mean, these things all just create reassurances. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, probably the greatest value of one cause is when things go wrong. That's typically when a lot of your, your um, value propositions actually pay biggest. Um, so for us in the summer, it's, it's the weather. So like we've actually been able to have a local meteorologist text that we blast out to everyone. So it's like <laughs> the news nine, David Payne is telling us that the thunderstorm is going to stay North. Um, and then here at Bowtie Bowl, which is a very public event, you know, we need to be celebrating the fact that our donors let us attract paid speakers. You know, we need to, we need to celebrate it, not be ashamed of it. So we do get into a, you know, a media cycle. We have donors that have underwritten radio spot campaigns, um, so for us to then take the one cause platform and blast across a 4,000 audience member newsletter list and to then text message 1900 cell phones in an attempt to monetize an auction a week out and gives us an, enough time and space to remind people, share with friends and family. You don't need to be present to win. Um, it works. I mean, I tell two friends, they tell two friends, so on yeah. and so on. Well, I'm grateful to our product engineers um, that uh, it all worked so seamlessly for you. But um, that's what we aspire to do here. You know, we we don't want you to major in minors, right? We got we got all of that so that you could focus on some of the big stuff. Well, and then you know, you mentioned Darren Wilson Go Charity earlier. Yeah. You know. When you have Love a dedicated you, <laughs> team, when you have a dedicated team, so we use Go Charity to help us procure 
auction items. And our biggest reason why we like a third party provider is because they help with fulfillment. You know, events get so messy afterwards to actually fulfill so many of the deliveries and coordinations. And there's a cost involved in that for sure. Yeah. But to complement your one cause experts that come on site day of and help us with volunteer training. So it's, it's great to have the one cause team hypersensitive throughout the event to know what is the exact push notification to send at what time. But then I've got an, saw an auction expert who's watching within the one cause platform bid activity, seeing where there's bidding competition, bidding wars. We've actually been able to sell duplicate items. And there then from go. an accounting perspective, which is what I do, to then be able right after the event the following week to make contact with donors, make a statement to say, you know, we we have another prize available. Would you be willing to um, commit to your last highest bid and then to clone items simply? Good for actually, you. And then to actually process the credit card they already have on file. You know, I mean, we are we are a point of sale money transacting machine because <laughs> With one cause experts, trained volunteers, I would say probably 95% of the attendees that come into our events feel comfortable enough to not only give us their credit card information, but they actually go the extra mile to give us the right email address. So after the event, all post-event communication, we very rarely ever get like a returned mail item. Oh, I'm so happy for you guys that you're using the product and, and the resources and in, in such the right way. And clearly it's being successful. So thank you for sharing that. I can't believe we've, we've consumed an hour plus a uh, half hour plus. I think you're right. Um, this, this uh, episode should have been an hour, um, but let us wrap up with one question. What's the future for fields and futures, right? You have future in the name of your, your organization. Where do you see yourself in two years, five years? Well, this is going to be an odd statement, but we, we tell people that we want to finish that, that, that we don't want to be a forever cause. And over the last six or seven years, we've actually um, got within a half million dollars of our $10 million goal and establishing a field maintenance fund. So we have a $10 million field maintenance fund that is really kind of a board designated fund that within it has components of permanent endowments at our local community foundations. So we are now kind of in a final maturation stage where we are now taking a collaborative maintenance MOU to the school district that creates kind of a binding multi-year partnership that defines how we work together. How do we as a private entity deliver services in kind, but also provide in-kind reporting, um, it's a very, it's a very seasonal product here in Oklahoma. It, it's cold, it's hot, it rains, it snows, there's school, there's school breaks. So to do all the specialized services, we need a lot of coordination. So we're really excited that in 2023, when we step back into the full-time maintenance, we think we're going to have a model that can really inspire any urban district across the country. Um, and I've, we, we, we've said since really day one that, we want other school districts, other superintendents to call us and say, how did this happen? Yep. How can we, how can this happen in Kansas city? How can this happen in Baltimore? How can this happen in, in Jacksonville? Um, and then long-term, I hope that one day, you know, there's media organizations that are coming in and saying, why is Oklahoma city 
performing so differently. And my, my selfish um, reason for that, uh, it's hard to achieve. And I hope the school district is listening, but I hope that it's as simple as saying the fact that we've offloaded the maintenance burden has allowed the district to invest differently and where our peer school districts are having to pay for machinery repairs and top dressing and fertilizer, they instead are buying a second or third stipend for a B team basketball team. And it simply correlates to number of coaches. OKCPS can afford more coaching stipends because we've removed a cost and thus they're unlocking all of this incremental gain with attendance and stability and aspiration to where we now are creating these positive feedback loops of OKCPS students growing up to be OKCPS coaches, teachers, local business leaders, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a model for sure. A proven model. And um, yeah, I can see, bring it to New Jersey. I'm in New Jersey. When are you coming here? <laughs> I just need a donor. I promise you I can find a contractor who's willing to donate some time and, and dirt. Yeah. Oh, wow. I just love what you're doing. It, it's a unique approach. And, um, you know, you're not only impacting, you know, school districts in, in such a profound way so that, you know, they, they can redirect and 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 build better things. But we're we're building the future leaders of of our country, right? We're, we're taking students and helping them get to their place in life. And that's a beautiful story anytime. So thank you, Marshall, for sharing that. I had no idea going into this interview, what I was going to learn, but I'm quite impressed. So congratulations to you and the founders and the school district and your collaboration and everything that you're doing. You truly are, you know, the change and building better tomorrows and, and bringing up our future leaders. So thank you for everything that you do. It's amazing. Um, Fearless fundraisers. That's about all we have time for today. That was quite inspiring. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's raise nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 PM. Eastern time. That's Thursdays, 1230 PM Eastern time. But in the meantime, be sure to listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio and follow the channel that you like best so that you could get those notifications about all of our new guests. Fundraisers, as you just heard, are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Their stories are awe-inspiring. You won't want to miss a single episode. I'd like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Be sure to check them out at onecause.com and visit the resource tab on the homepage for a broad catalog of eBooks that you'll find very helpful. A huge shout out to my guest, um, Marshall Stockdale. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your expert and authentic voice. Um, I really appreciate you being with us today. I truly enjoyed our conversation. Any, I'm putting you on the spot now, but any last words of inspiration? I don't know. Uh, just <laughs> that is just unstoppable fun. together, right? Well, no, go visit our go visit our website and consider making a donation. That would there be you awesome. go. That's good. <laughs> Always plugging away for for shoot a shoot. great mission. There you go. Um, well, one last thing: if we're going to go to your website, how do we connect with you? Uh, Fields and Futures Period Org. 
Um, on the projects page, you can see all of the secondary schools that we've improved. You can also learn more about some partnerships we have with U.S. Soccer Foundation, Musco Lighting, where we've built um, 18 different futsal courts in the market. Um, on our homepage, you can subscribe to our newsletter, and we're on all platforms. Um, we've really enjoyed the last couple of years really building out our LinkedIn profile. That's another little nugget. If you're a nonprofit leader and you're thinking about how do I grow engagement, do not undermine or underestimate the power of LinkedIn. Okay. Here you go, fearless fundraisers. Well, thank you again so much. For now, that's a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego, and this is Raise Nation Radio. Stay fearless out there.